Is Syracuse basketball a winner or a loser in this offseason so far? We talked the portal. We talk recruiting. We talk the future. Is Syracuse in the win or loss column of that debate? Plus, Jim Beheim in an article from The Athletic talking about the 2-3 zone and how it might not have a place in college basketball anymore as a full-time gig, plus a few other things that slipped through the cracks this week. It's your Locked On Syracuse Friday episode. Let's get right to it. You are Locked On Syracuse, your daily podcast on the Syracuse Orange, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's up? What's happening? Welcome into your Friday episode of Lockdown Syracuse. I'm I'm Owen Valentine saying thank you so much for making Lockdown Syracuse your first listen today and every day. Part of the Lockdown Podcast Network. We're free and available wherever you get podcasts. It's your team every day. Today, we are talking a lot on the rundown. We're hitting on a handful of things to finish up this week in the month of June, talking Syracuse, winning or losing in the portal in the offseason, the 2-3 zone as a whole, plus a few things that need to be addressed before we head into the weekend. Loaded episode of Locked On Syracuse to get you into the weekend. I want to address a few things before we get started today. First and foremost, we are into the technical offseason months of Locked On Syracuse's coverage. So, As a heads up, moving forward, there are going to be fewer episodes a week. I'm going to try and get on a Monday, Wednesday, Friday schedule, but it's going to be about three episodes a week uh, as we progress, barring some gigantic breaking news. Obviously, we'll get you big episodes when there need to be big episodes, but for the months of June and July, it is probably going to be more of a Monday, Wednesday, Friday vibe uh, until we get into August and preseason football camp. So, Today we start with Syracuse and the portal and this offseason as a whole. I saw a tweet from College Basketball Report that sort of sparked this conversation for me this morning, talking about the biggest winners and losers of the offseason so far. And Syracuse not mentioned on either side of that debate uh, or this graphic, which listed about 10 or so teams per side. And it it made me start thinking, is, is Syracuse a winner or a loser at this point in time. And I personally had them down as, as a big winner. And maybe I didn't necessarily think it through completely uh, tweeted that out, that Syracuse is a big off season winner so far. Mainly I was thinking in terms of the portal, reread the tweet. They're talking the off season as a whole, uh, but a few people chimed in as well. So I figured why not start the episode with it today? Right now, when you look at the portal as a whole for Syracuse and you're looking at exits, you're looking at people that you bring in. In terms of your exits, you lose Jesse, you lose Gerard, you lose Symir Torrance, and you lose my boy John Bull. In terms of impact, that's two starters, your backup guard in Symir Torrance, and a guy who, who played marginal minutes down the stretch. In John Bull. In terms of your arrivals, you get JJ Starling, 
uh, a highly sought after transfer in the portal, one of the top 10 transfers by a number of different metrics. You bring in Chance Westry, a former top 50 recruit in the same class that Judah and JJ were a part of as well. Coming off of an injury, battled a knee injury, a knee situation last season, wasn't playing healthy, didn't play down the stretch for Auburn. You bring in a guy in, uh, our tall man, Naheem McLeod, the tallest player to ever play for Syracuse basketball. Uh, Seven foot four, uh, theoretical starting center most games at this point in time. And you bring in Kyle Cuff Jr., a guy who comes from Kansas, who has not played in two seasons and is definitely uh, a question mark without a doubt. And you look at this situation, and on three does uh, does stars and sort of regrades everybody as they head into the portal. And you bring in Cuff, who is rated an 89. That's a three-star rating. You bring in McLeod, who is an 89 and a three-star rating. You lose Gerard, who is a 94 and given a four-star rating. You bring in Chance Westry, who is an 89 and a three-star rating. You lose Jesse Edwards, who's a 94 and a four-star rating. You bring in J.J. Starling, who's a 96 and a four-star rating. You lose Symeer, who's an 88. You lose John Bull, who's an 87, both of those with three-star ratings. So when we break it all down, you lose two starters in Jesse Edwards and Joe Girard. You bring in replacements in J.J. Starling and Naheem McLeod. Now, I will say J.J. Starling is a win over Girard, without question. Um, But in terms of national rankings, uh, this was brought up by, I believe, Caleb Patry over on Twitter. Uh, uh, The loss of Joe Girard uh, to the more casual fan, to the non-Syracuse involved, to a lot of people is a huge loss, right? You lose your leading scorer, you lose that. In terms of the grand scheme of things, when you look at Syracuse as a whole right now, a lot of people, especially in central New York, see that as a win. And I think losing Joe Girard is a big hit. I'm not here to say that losing Joe is not a big hit. But I do think stylistically, and we'll get to this a little bit, uh, talking about the 2-3 zone, talking about Uh, what happens in terms of the adjustments, the changes that you can expect with Adrian Autry. I think schematically, you needed to get rid of Joe in order to effectively play this scheme. And so I'm putting that as a positive, especially bringing in J.J. Starling and bringing in a guy in Chance Westry who is very much a win over Symeer Torrance as your number three guard. Westry with a ton of potential now playing healthy last year is by no means indicative of what this kid can do played hurt didn't average a ton of points didn't average a ton of minutes and then was out the remainder of the year I don't think that tells you who Chance Westry is as a player do you take a hit three-point shooting with the loss of Joe bringing in JJ and Westry probably but I think that is if the guard situation a big net positive those two guys I will take every day over Joe Girard and Simeon Torrance. I take J.J. Starling and I take Chance Westry. Plus you throw in the question mark of Kyle Cup Jr., who has potential, 
sought after recruit out of high school, played at Kansas, is a national champion for what it's worth, has just been battling injuries. And now, per his reports, says he's healthy and has been playing for the last couple of months. We just haven't necessarily seen it because we're in the offseason, right? You're not playing games. You're not having video practices, public practices, things like that. So the question mark there adds, again, to a big net positive. Now, you lose Jesse Edwards. That's a huge hit. Jesse Edwards is highly regarded as a top five transfer in the portal by many, many metrics. Mainly, and I will say this, this is not a knock at Jesse, but experienced, effective centers come at a premium. They're a rarity in college basketball. They're a rarity in the portal to find a guy who averaged Jesse Edwards' numbers at this level. And so it makes sense that Jesse is a top five portal player because of the rarity of that effectiveness at center. Now, Naheem McLeod, numbers-wise, is probably a step back from Jesse Edwards. No one here to deny that. However, Naheem McLeod also is at the point in his career where we saw Jesse doing the same thing, averaging a few points a game, a few rebounds per game, and still trying to figure out their identity as a big man. With two years of eligibility left, Naheem McLeod very much could have that same trajectory as Jesse Edwards. They're in the same point of their career where you saw that major jump that the Syracuse coaching staff was able to get going. And so, yes, you take a hit, but I do think Naheem McLeod has the potential. And when you expand his numbers out over the numbers that Jesse Edwards was playing to have similar effectiveness numbers-wise to Jesse in his junior year. Can he make that jump? We'll have to see, but I do think the potential is there. Now, if you don't mind, I've got to let the dog out. Um, going nuts in the background. I apologize. We'll go mobile here as we talk about our friends over at Bird Dogs. Some of my favorite shorts, Bird Dogs are incredibly comfortable. They're incredibly fun. They've got my beautiful little puppy, Skylar, fired up right now because that is what bird dogs can do. They're comfortable. They are effective material. They're like Lululemon, but they can even be more comfortable than that. Can you believe that? How do they do it? They've got brand new technology. They've got incredible, incredible stuff. They have found themselves a way to create shorts that look professional, that look like you're wearing khakis, but they are as comfortable as a pair of athletic shorts. What do they have? They've got anti-stink, sweat-wicking fabric. It keeps you cool and dry all day long, especially in the summer, right? You're in the summer, you're wearing shorts, you get a little sweaty. These have that wonderful, wonderful fabric to keep everything going good. They do so much. They've got an unbelievable cloud knit fabric. It looks like a khaki. It stretches, makes you look slimmer, and you don't have to sacrifice movement. I love them. I can wear them on the golf course. You can wear them to a grad party. You can wear them to the gym. They've got everything for you. So go to birddogs.com slash college. Enter promo code college for a free, yes, you heard me right, it's free, a Yeti-style tumbler with your order. That's birddogs.com slash college for a free Yeti style tumbler. You won't want to take your bird dogs off. I absolutely promise you that. They are so comfortable. Get yourself a pair.
All right. Owen Valentine here on your Locked On Syracuse Friday episode, joined by the beautiful Skylar over here. She is having a wonderful day. I just wanted to be seen, wanted to be public for everybody. Uh, so if you're on YouTube, say hello to Skylar, having her moment. She's going to be attacking me under the, uh, under the desk here for the remainder of the episode. But right now, we talk a little bit about the 2-3 zone because an outstanding article came out over on The Athletic yesterday, written by C.J. Moore, that discussed the 2-3 zone with Jim Beheim and Coach Adrian Autry. And I think it is, it's must-read material if you subscribe to The Athletic. If you don't subscribe to The Athletic, uh, outstanding coverage. Outstanding coverage uh, and something that you might need to pursue uh, if you're looking for some more in-depth reporting on a lot of your teams, right? They cover professional sports. They cover collegiate sports. They're all over the place. Uh, really good reads uh, at this point in time. But they talked about the 2-3. And you get a really, really candid uh, interview responses from Jim Beheim. And the most impactful one is probably Jim Beheim saying that if he started his career today, as opposed to when he started 47 years ago, that he would not play 2-3 as the primary defense and would instead play man-to-man 90% of the time saying he'd want to be able to play man or want to be able to play the zone effectively so that 10 to 20% of the time, about a fifth of your minutes could be played in zone stylistically, schematically, uh, probably a fifth of those games more likely than, you know, situations. You probably have schematic you know, fits based on opponent, based on style of play, based on shooting numbers. But Beheim talked about, and more broke down in this article, the decline in the effectiveness of the 2-3 zone as the three-point shooter became a significantly more prominent component to college basketball. As the three-point line shifted and spread out the floor naturally and a number of other things, right? They talked about and they showed screenshots and comments about when Syracuse won the national championship in 2003. And you look at how compact that zone could be. And why is it compact? Because your guards for Kansas, your guards for the opponents are not looking to shoot the three. They're looking to drive. Your small forward is not a three-point shooter. You've got to guard one, maybe two three-point shooters at that point in time, it allows you to be more compact. And in that day and age, in that era of basketball, your pre-Steph Curry, your pre-spread out, your pre-everybody on the court needs to be able to shoot the three, that compactness was tremendous at forcing people to take tougher shots, contested mid-range, not be able to effectively get to the rim and also have to struggle a little bit because not everyone's a three-point shooter and your three-point percentages are low. They talked about that national championship game. You got guys shooting significantly below 30% with 20, maybe 25 made threes on the year and how you were able to play so effectively that two-three zone compared to nowadays where you've got centers that are shooting the three at a 40% clip, when you've got the one through four who can effectively shoot the three and the five that could pull it if need be, 
how that stretching of the zone and the fact that you need to be a presence further and further and further out disrupts the effectiveness of the 2-3. It allows for what we have seen so many times in the last half decade, that entry pass to the foul line and the ability to distribute from there. When you were more compact, it was more difficult to A, get the ball there, and B, to be able to score off of it, to be able to get the open three. Syracuse would have taken the contested three that teams now are looking for because of the percentage that you are going to make it, because of the effectiveness, the skill from beyond the arc of so many players on the roster and on the court simultaneously. The stretching of the zone, the opening of the zone allows for so much. And so the question, right, is if Beheim knew five years ago, why couldn't things work? Why couldn't this shift happen? Why couldn't you switch to man now and see how that works? If you knew this was a recipe for disaster and that it can't stop the three, four, five shooters you have to deal with at a time now, why'd you stick with it? Beheim's answer is his personnel. It's roster. It was the fact that Buddy Beheim, and Joe Girard are not guys that are going to effectively be able to play man-to-man defense and a number of other things. It's style. It is the skill set of the players you are looking at. And it is the athletic ability in terms of being able to move, being able to hold your own, being able to effectively do this that Syracuse tremendously lacked in that span and why you didn't see that shift happen earlier. And now under Adrian Autry, who was also interviewed in this article, it is time for you to start to see that shift as you have a far more athletic group and a far faster group and a group that can more effectively push the pace and hold their own defensively because of what they can do there. I can't wait to see how this shift happens because Autry talked about it, right? The 2-3 zone era at Syracuse isn't dead in that it will never be talked about isn't dead in that Autry would never play it. But the era of college basketball where the 2-3 can effectively be your primary zone or primary defense might have come to a close in the last half decade. And that is the reality of the article. If you agree, I think most Syracuse fans will agree. Uh, You throw that in the comments. You know, talk to me. Join that convo. I think the 2-3 has a time and a place, right? There are teams that are not incredible three-point shooters. There are teams where you only have one or two guys that can beat you from deep. And in that situation, you might be able to effectively survive in terms of playing the two-three, right? There are moments where it will work. But in terms of a team that can do this at all times, a team that can effectively be a full-time three-point shooting team, or two, three zone team. There's too few teams that struggle from three that much that you're going to be able to play this half of the time, three quarters of the time, 90% of the time, as I believe Syracuse's defensive metrics would suggest from last season. So as Jim Beheim retires and the two, three zone leaves Syracuse with him, is the two, three zone dead in college basketball? And the answer is 
Possibly. Possibly. It might be time. There are so few teams that play it at that level. You lose Coach K at Duke. Coach K was a guy that because of, you know, Olympic overlap, uh, the longevity of them coaching at the same time, Coach K was a guy that would throw the 2-3 out there. He's gone. Uh, other coaches, right? How's it working for Hop at Washington? Hmm. How is it working in central New York? It wasn't working the last four seasons because of what is happening right now in Syracuse. And you saw defensive numbers decline in terms of rankings for the last four or five years. And Bayheim leaves, and Syracuse has two incredibly quick guards in J.J. Starling and Judah Mintz. And an incredibly deep batch of guards and forwards that can move together and can all get out and run and be effective in transition. And it's time to get rid of the 2-3. And that's what you're going to see next year. That is the new identity of Syracuse basketball is a team that is going to work to push the pace, that is going to play man because they have the speed and agility and mobility to do so and can play the 2-3 when it fits and when the time and place is there. But those moments and those games are fading and are becoming far more rare in the game of college basketball. All right. Let's take a look at a few things that maybe have slipped through the cracks this past week. Uh, we've got some exciting news in terms of the ring of honor for Syracuse uh, going around the dome. Now you're seeing names going up there. The most exclusive of the exclusive in terms of Syracuse athletics, right? Getting your Jersey retired, incredibly exclusive. This is the tier above that. And Syracuse adds two names this season in Dave Bing and Ben Schwartzwald. Really exciting stuff. National champion winning coach. Uh, one of the most influential players of Syracuse basketball and Dave Bing, incredibly, incredibly important. Uh, it, it's fun. It's exciting to see that. I can't wait till, I don't know if that's a specific game yet. I forget if that's been announced in terms of the true game. We'll figure that out. Uh, but really exciting would be a cool thing to see that happen when the time comes. Uh, some other stuff in terms of Syracuse athletics, we are going to have to dive into recruiting, uh, dive into some recruiting stuff next week. I'll see who I can reach out to, see if anyone wants to jump on uh, and join those conversations. But I cannot wait because there is some, some news coming along in terms of Syracuse basketball recruiting. Can they get a third name in the class of 2024? There's a few options that Syracuse is very much in the mix for. That is next week's coverage without question. Uh, some stuff on the football side. Uh, we'll look to bring uh, somebody on that can talk football a little bit better than me, maybe with a little more knowledge, a little bit more positivity surrounding Syracuse football. Uh, but that is sort of where we will leave off for this week. If I miss something, need me to hit on it next week. Uh, we're looking to cover recruiting. We're looking to cover Syracuse football next week. Anything else that you want hit on, please let me know in the comments here on YouTube in the DMs on Twitter, at LO underscore Syracuse over there. Send a tweet at me. Do what you can uh, to get in contact and let me know what you want covered uh, heading into next week and the rest of the month of June. 
Uh, that'll do it for today. I'm Owen Valentine. Hope you enjoyed the episode today. Uh, some good conversations, right? Did Syracuse win or lose in the portal? I think they win, uh, although there are some some things that hurt, right? Some things that knock you a little bit. Uh, but I do think Syracuse is without a doubt a net positive in the portal. Is the 2-3 zone dead? Quite possibly. It might be dead in college basketball, plus a few other things. Feel free to get the conversation started on Twitter, in the comments, wherever you might be. But until then, I'm Owen Valentine. Thank you so much for tuning in today. Be kind. Do something nice for somebody. Have a great weekend, and I will catch you on Monday. Peace.